bipartisan negotiators announced today they have struck a deal to avert a partial government shutdown, securing agreement on half of the dozen must-pass spending bills and extending a pair of fast-approaching funding deadlines deeper into March to buy Congress more time. President Biden won Michigan's Democratic primary yesterday, but faced a notable challenge from voters selecting uncommitted to protest his handling of Israel's military campaign in Gaza, a potential sign of vulnerability for Biden among rank-and-file Democrats. And on the Republican side, former President Donald Trump continued his sweep of early primary contests, but former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has a significant share of the vote. She garnered more than 30% of the vote in the Michigan primary, indicating that Trump has his own vulnerabilities in November's general election. And Hunter Biden faced questions today from members of two GOP-led House committees at a closed-door deposition that Biden's son had rejected participating in for months. The deposition is being held by the House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee, the two panels that have been leading an impeachment inquiry into the president. And supervisors in San Francisco formally apologized yesterday to African-Americans and their descendants for the city's role in perpetuating racism and discrimination, with several stating that this was just the start of reparations for Black residents and not the end. Republicans have been forced to stake an uncomfortable position between their anti-abortion base and the wider American public as fallout from an Alabama Supreme Court ruling that embryos or extra-uterine children continues into a second week. Meanwhile, Democrats have seized on the issue as the forewarned conclusion of decades of Republican policies to restrict reproductive rights. And today, uh, the Supreme Court announced that it will review Donald Trump's unprecedented claim that he is shielded from all prosecution for actions taken while in office. Now, this further delays the former president's federal trial in the nation's capital on charges of conspiring to overturn his 2020 election loss to remain in power. The justices set argument for the week of April 22nd to consider a unanimous ruling from a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, which on February 6th rejected Trump's sweeping assertion of presidential immunity from prosecution. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trendy news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. This is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time, and this is the hour where we go deep, where we dig behind the headlines, and we bring you those stories that people are talking about. Well, since this is election year, pretty much throughout this year, we are going to be talking about election stuff, because elections are on people's minds, uh, helping people understand the differences between primaries and general elections, who's running, who's not, what the issues are, uh, what they should be concerned about. These are all the kinds of issues we are going to bring you. And it's so important that we do this, according, I believe, and the station believes, is because there's so much disinformation. And that means information out there that's wrong. The people that's putting it out there know that it's wrong, and they are targeting certain voters. Uh, and this is happening from Russian uh, operatives. We know they're Russian bots and we know there is an active campaign by Vladimir Putin 
to undermine the U.S. election process that was pretty much established in the last two elections. Uh, and we know they are at it again. So we have to guard against that disinformation uh, machine that's working overtime. And then there are those right here in the U.S., both Republicans uh, and extremists, and even some Democrats who have, uh, I'll say, drank the Kool-Aid, who have also been engaging in misinformation and disinformation as it relates to this year's election. So we are going to be making the truth and the facts and bringing you the experts and those folks who are working uh, in the community, who have their fingers on the pulse of what's happening around voting. We're going to make sure that those voices are heard uh, on my program and throughout the year on this entire station so that you as voters will have the most current and the most accurate information to take with you into your polling place. So today, uh, keeping with that theme, I'm excited because we're going to be talking about Black women voters. We know Black women are the most reliable voting block for the Democratic Party. They voted in huge numbers in so many close elections that we put folks in office. We have stopped people from going into office. And I suspect this year it will be no different. Uh, traditionally, we have thrown our weight behind Democratic candidates, uh, Democratic presidents and congresspeople and senators and, uh, you know, up and down the ballot, Democratic uh Voters or Democratic candidates, I should say, can rely on Black women voters. So today we're going to be asking, what are Black women thinking about? What is driving them? What are the priority issues they want to see candidates talking about? And what's going to get them excited? Because we keep hearing all this talk about nobody's excited about the Democratic ticket, particularly uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, I don't believe that. Uh, and so I'm always looking for folks to help me uh, you know, prove that there is excitement in some bases, uh, you know, some uh, spaces and bases and, and some places throughout the country. There are lots of folks who are super excited about this election. Uh, so today, Kadita Kenner, she's the founding CEO of New Pennsylvania Project. Um, this is a voting rights organization whose purpose is to register voters uh, she works in the community and she has her finger on the pulse of what Black women voters are thinking. So when we come forward, I'm talking to Kadita uh, and get her take on what we are thinking about and how do we make sure that our priorities are the priorities of those that are seeking our votes. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, Kevin. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Aretha Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, we are talking about black women voters because this is election season. And there are a lot of reports out about voters and what voters are thinking, what priorities are going to drive them to the poll and also chatter about enthusiasm or lack thereof as it relates to the candidacy of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So I'm excited to have Kadita Kenner uh, joining me in this hour. She is a voting rights expert. She's the founding CEO of New Pennsylvania Project, uh, and she has been actively involved in registering voters, 
talking to voters and checking the, the, the pulse, the temperature of voters. And so uh, glad to have you join me, Kadita. I, I want to start with this enthusiasm question. I mean, you can't pick up the paper or turn on a news show without hearing folks kind of whining on about how unenthused uh, voters are, particularly Democratic voters, about our choices. People still saying, oh, they hope that Joe Biden gets replaced at the convention or, you know, where's the younger candidate and people not having faith that Kamala Harris can step into the job if something happens to Joe Biden or some theories that, you know, she's a plant to step into the job the minute he gets elected. So all these theories out there, but uh, the conclusion is, is that you know, voters in general, particularly Democratic voters, are not excited about this election. Tell me, does that square with what you are hearing on the ground from the voters you're talking to? I'll say yes. That squares with what's happening here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And we know here on this side of, of the country, uh, Pennsylvania is very important to what's going to happen with this 2024 election. And I can tell you, as we are a statewide organization, you know, moving from Philadelphia through Pittsburgh, what we are hearing on the ground as we are moving and trying to mobilize black voters, Latino voters, other voters of color, the youth in this work, immigrant communities, is that there is an enthusiasm gap. There is voter apathy that exists in this moment, and we're working really hard to overcome that. And doing that by talking about the issues so we can provide some reasons for why people need to get to the polls this November and cast their ballot and make their voices heard. So I have to ask you, you know, I, I don't know if I know of an election where voters were super excited, particularly black voters, other than, I should say other than, but clearly Obama, his election is an example where you had people super, super excited to be able to vote for the first uh, black president. But if you put that election aside, is the voter apathy that you just described, is it anything new or does this mirror the kind of apathy that you've seen in other years with other candidates that were not Barack Obama? I believe that it is uh, a little stronger here in 2024 with the voter apathy. And I think that a lot of the communities, um, particularly the ones that we center, are not believing that their needs are being met, uh, that they've been casting ballots year after year after year. And what is happening in their communities have remained the same. There's been no change. And I think that this is an opportunity for those who are currently um, in power to discuss what it is they've actually done. Voters have you there. So you said you feel like it's different Mm -hmm. and you feel like voters feel like they've been casting votes year after year after year and nothing has changed. So so why now? So nothing's changed over the years. Why, Why are they apathetic now? They're apathetic now because, as you mentioned, to start this show is is that they're not really enthused about their choices at the top of the ticket in this 2024 election. And, you know, there's more than just the top of the ticket in this 2024. We're talking about Congress. We're talking about all of our House of Representative members. We're talking about our Senate. Um, And here in Pennsylvania, one of our Senate races as well, we're talking about what's happening in our state government. And so if there is no enthusiasm at the top of the ticket, then we need to make sure people have enthusiasm for the rest of the ticket. And, you know, you you said that voters feel like they vote, you know, for the party. We're we're talking now about the top of the ticket. We can also talk uh, later about some of these down ballot races. Uh, They feel like nothing has changed. And I just find it to be such an odd statement because Mm -hmm. you literally can point to Kamala Harris as one huge change. Uh, There's so many other things that the Biden administration has done from like $1.53 billion in student loan 
uh, debt relief, even though the bigger package that he was trying to do is blocked now by the Supreme Court. Uh, how is it that folks, that those kinds of accomplishments, because by just objective measures, this president has achieved more than probably more than half, if not 75% of all presidents in this, you know, the history of our country. So how is it that black voters that you're dealing with don't appreciate that? Is there a messaging problem? Like where's the gap there? There absolutely is a messaging problem. And I think that this administration is not doing as successful of a job as they could of communicating the successes and the policies that have changed lives here because lives have changed in these last four years. And when you have a name like Kadita, you appreciate a name like Katanji Brown Jackson uh, joining the Supreme Court of the United States, a promise kept from this administration. Uh, when we think about funding for HBCUs and we think about other issues that impact black communities. And I think that this is an issue of the administration itself in order for them to be able to communicate on the ground effectively with the communities they've been serving. So I hear that a lot and I, I, I don't know, you know, when you're dealing with people and they tell you how they feel, you have to respect what they say, how they feel. So I, I'm not trying to discount how people say they feel because I hear people on this show say that every day. But I also know as someone that works in the media that a lot of what gets disseminated to the public is you know, driven by the media and media plays the gatekeeper for that information. And if you pick up the New York Times, the Washington Post, and I'm sure even your paper in Pennsylvania, Every story is about Donald Trump. I mean, it's hard to find a story about Joe Biden. Kamala Harris, uh, you know, her tour around reproductive freedom barely gets a mention in the paper because the media has decided that this is all about corporate profits and Donald Trump and all of his drama, all of his court cases, all of his just provocative statements is a rating juggernaut for them. And democracy be damned, you know, it's eyes on my station, it's eyes on my, you know, the screen. So a lot of that messaging, as hard as they try, you know, is not, I don't know how they break through, I guess is my point, when you have a media that has decided that Donald Trump will be covered. I think I read this morning, literally, there were 20 articles yeah. in the major paper about Donald Trump, 20 I mean, that is unheard of unearned media. I mean, he gets billions and billions of dollars of unearned media. So what is the recommendation? So I ask people who say there's a messaging problem, like how do you break through when somebody literally has 20 articles written about them? Yeah, you know, not only is it a messaging, a messaging issue, but it is also an issue about where folks are getting their media or where they're getting their news. And as an organization that focuses on young folks, you know, they're getting their messaging from TikTok. They're getting their messages from Instagram. And so I think there's an onus on those who are, who are producing that content as well. And there's misinformation and disinformation that it has to be overcome. Uh, that's a lot of what's happening. And we have folks here in Pennsylvania, obviously, you know, believing that Donald Trump was responsible for the pandemic checks, right? Because he signed his name to the letter, but he didn't want our folks to have those checks. And so there has to be a lot of overcoming of misinformation and disinformation that exists. And yes, it, it, Donald Trump is someone you might want to see on your TV because, you know, that's that's what he's known for. And, and it's on us to hold also the media accountable for providing the content that we need so we can make good decisions. Are you seeing on those social media sites where you say young folks are getting their 
uh, information. Who are the influencers? So we know some of the influencers that are peddling the Republican talking points, whether it's Killer Mike or Charlemagne the God or Sexy Red, you know, we know some of those voices. Who are some of the influencers that you are seeing that are, uh, you know, talking about the accomplishments of this administration? I think what is happening on maybe the other side of the aisle and how they're addressing this on social media is that they're using influencers who are just regular people, you know, and they're regular people who are leading organizations, regular people who are telling their stories about why it is it's so important to cast a ballot. You know, I think that that's part of the question is that who is the star? You know, unless we're going to talk about Taylor Swift and folks, you know, thinking about how, you know, her being on TV is trying to sway votes for Biden. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's an opportunity. Who are the influencers for those who uh, believe in and value what we value? Uh, that's an opportunity. I, but I also think there's something to the point of using regular everyday people to speak to that to the issues and trying to overcome the objections that exist. You know, I can't tell you how many times we hear I'm going to vote about the lesser of two evils. I, that's just not a, a, a dynamic that exists here in this election of this year. Yeah, it's a false equivalency that it is. It is. There's evil. There is evil. <laughs> yeah, there's evil. There's real evil. So so when you talk to young voters, we're going to talk about, well, let's, look, let's talk about black women voters. This is what we're mm -hmm. talking about. What, what are black women voters telling you they want to hear more of? Like what, what's driving them to the polls. Yeah, they want to hear about what what has what have you done for me lately? You know, what are the accomplishments? Uh because if you are only getting your information off of TikTok or Instagram, you may not be hearing all of what has happened and been accomplished in this administration. So what we're hearing, you know, I'm thinking about Pittsburgh, uh, the city of Pittsburgh here, a 2019 study that was done by Gender Equity Commission rated Pittsburgh the worst city in America for a black woman to live. What was that based on? Uh, that was based on unemployment rates. It was based on poverty rates. It was based on birth defects and death rates here in uh, the Pittsburgh area. And so when you're seeing other communities not experiencing what are what's being experienced in black communities, uh, there's a reason uh, you know, why folks are apathetic in this moment. We're talking about poverty uh, rates here in, in Pennsylvania and across the country. Uh, we're talking about gun violence, reproductive justice issues, all the things that will impact other communities will impact us first and stronger. Um, and so the issues that exist in, in the rest of the country exist in the black community, but it's always gonna be exacerbated. So how do we get folks, all those issues you just said, some of them obviously are impacted by the president, but many of those issues are not. Many of those issues have to do with, I'm thinking of you know, Dr. Oz's uh, almost successful campaign in Pennsylvania to be your senator. I'm thinking about you know, those local uh, governments. I'm thinking about your Congress people who can bring appropriations back to your region. So I'm thinking about all the things and all the people who play a role in those horrific stats that you just identified. Do you feel like people have a clear understanding of them? Because sometimes when I'm talking to folks, what they are heaping on the president has nothing to do with the president. Like that's just not what the president does. Right. And when you talk, you know, like schools, I'll give you an example of schools. People are upset about, you know, classrooms or, or books or not having classes. I'm like, okay, are you going to your local school board meeting? Are you participating in school board meetings? Do you know who your superintendent is? And you know, typically the answer is no, 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 no. So are you finding that people do have an appreciation for 
you know, our governmental structure and, and what you can hold a president accountable for, but what you need to hold, say, a school board member accountable for. We're continuously having to educate about what it is elected officials do, what they can and cannot do, right? And you can be mad at the president about a pothole not being filled in the front of your house. That's not the role of the president, right? And so it's so important that we talk about local elections, municipal elections, judicial elections um, in all of our states, those that have them. And so, yes, uh, it, it is a lot of education that needs to be had about what it is elected officials do. Uh, could we potentially have another two United States Supreme Court justices selected in the next four to five years? Absolutely. Uh, that is the role of not only the president, but of the U.S. senators to confirm these folks. Right. So I think that it's a lot of education that is needed around what it is these particular elected officials do. Yeah, and, and, you know, great point you raise about those Supreme Court justices, because we're sitting here now. And black women are disproportionately impacted by these, you know, restrictive reproductive health decisions, mm -hmm. the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and now this, you know, Alabama Supreme Court decision about embryos. I'm thinking of young women who I know, black women who have gone through the process of uh, freezing their eggs because they can't find men, and you know that they want to marry at this stage, and they're 30, and they're going to be 35, and those women are are impacted by that decision in Alabama that can become a decision in other states throughout this country. But I'm not sure people make the connection between when they say things like, as you said, uh, Donald Trump wrote me a check. Right. As, as much, you know, as that is so false. But even if that were true, the fact that he may have given you $1,200, but he put the people on the Supreme Court that now make it impossible for you to get an abortion. And now if you are a woman that wants to freeze your eggs, that's even becoming you know, more problematic. So are people making those connections? I mean, I know you said you're doing this voter education is so important to do, uh, but, but that bothers me. That worries me, quite frankly, because I don't think people are thinking about the, the things the president does do, like you said nominating Supreme Court justices and how those decisions impact their daily lives. Are you seeing progress, at least in that area? We're seeing some progress, but I'll say this, right? We've taken civics out of public education. Uh, we have teachers who are afraid to actually teach the subject. Um, and teach it thoroughly. And so, yeah, we are experiencing right now a gap in, in uh, the knowledge base of, of what folks know here, particularly in Pennsylvania. Uh, young folks, you know, are not receiving the education they need to be able to make good decisions for themselves. I'll say this, though, you know, what we're experiencing is a more representative democracy is happening here in the Commonwealth. Um, and where we have our first black woman speaker of the House in Harrisburg. We yeah. have our first oh, black woman. You also have your first yeah. black female mayor in Philadelphia. I want to talk about that as well and how Black women played a role in getting her elected. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and in this hour we are talking about Black women and the Black vote, uh, particularly given that this is a big election year for both Congress senators as well as the president. Uh, Kadita Kenner is the founding CEO of New Pennsylvania Project. It is a voting rights organization. So we're talking about uh, Black women voters and uh, your mayor, new mayor of Philadelphia, is the first African-American female mayor of that city. And I was looking at some of the reports, Kadita, about uh, Sherelle, she's Sherelle Parker, is that her name? That's right. 
Yes, Sherelle Parker. Uh, she, I don't know much about her politics, but she seems, based on what I've read, to be what folks will call a mod or a centrist Democrat. She has a, a tough on crime policy or position, says she believes, I guess, in bringing back stop and frisk, wants to put 300 additional police officers on the streets in Philadelphia. Uh, although she, you know, talks, shares very openly about coming from a single mother, growing up, uh, receiving uh, governmental benefits. So I think Sherelle Parker shows us that the Democratic Party, in particular Black women voters, are not monolithic. She has a background of, you know, like so many other Black folks born in her era. She's in her early 50s, single mom, grandmother, you know, welfare benefits, yet she seems first generation college grad, but yet her positions seem to be a lot more what I'll call, you know, conservative as that goes in terms of democratic politics. Uh, how was Sherelle received by Black women voters in Philadelphia? Black women voters are the main reason that she is the mayor of, of Philadelphia in this moment and the report and the support she received um, from, from Black folks in the city. Uh, she had to overcome a really a uh, long primary process here in Philadelphia. There were many other Democrats that ran to be mayor of Philadelphia. Uh, she's also an HBCU grad, so so shout out to the HBCUs. Um, and it was also also you know does it hurt to be part of the Divine Nine uh, when you're running for office as well? Um, so I'll say that you know I think Philadelphia is was ready for some change. Not only is she the first Black woman mayor, she's the first woman mayor of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm in our long history. And, uh, you know, to say that we have a black woman to, you know, come in and clean up the mess. And, and that's typically, you know, what we do. We come in here and we clean up the mess. And I think that what Philadelphians are looking for, you know, there is a, an uptick in gun violence. There is an uptick in poverty. Philadelphia, one of the only first class cities in America, still stuck at 725 minimum wage. Uh, you know, that's a federal issue. That's a state issue. That's so much she can do as the mayor of Philadelphia. But when you are the mayor of a major city where folks are making seven twenty five an hour, you're going to have some issues you need to overcome. Um, and so I think that uh, she's being well received as she's getting her first you know 90 days going here and what she's trying to establish or folks in favor of the stop and frisk and all that. I mean, I think that it's different. There's not a monolith. Uh, as you say, as it relates to what people feel is going to be the necessity to overcome some of the obstacles that exist in this moment. And I think that Philadelphia is open to what it is she can bring. And, you know, this also goes to the fact we have a very liberal um, district attorney in, in Larry Krasner, right? So there's a, a there's that difference between the two. And so we'll see what happens here in, in Philadelphia. People are optimistic and, and hopeful um, that her administration is going to bring about change. And did people, I'm sure that people voted for her, Black people, particularly Black women, because of some of the policies that, you know, she supported. But obviously, being a Black woman, I'm sure Black women took pride in being able to support her and to vote for her. Are you seeing that pride of voting for a Black woman, having a first Black woman, first woman, and then the first Black woman mayor of your city? Is that translating to how people are thinking about Kamala Harris in the a presidential election with the voters you're talking to? Because we hear a lot of folks, you know, that talk negatively about our vice president, say that, you know, they're not enthused about her in the same way they're not enthused about Biden. There's some polls that, you know, suggest that her uh, popularity number, you know, her popularity amongst voters is low uh, in the same way that his is. But what are you hearing from Black women about Kamala Harris? 
I think that there's a lot of support. Again, it also doesn't hurt when you're a part of the divine nine there with Kamala Harris as well. And you're running for office. But I'll say that, you know, there's support among black women supporting other black women. You know, there's misogyny, uh, you know, within with all communities. And I think that there that goes a long way. And the distrust and the ire some folks have for Kamala Harris in her office. And um, I think that black women, you know, are going to get behind because in the end, we always do the right thing. Um, and so um, I think that the support will grow uh, for her and particularly among black women. But, yeah, there's a difference. You know, there's you know, they I hear the things people say. Right. She's a cop or whatever her previous position was and where they stand on that. But at the end of the day, her policies are going to be much more supportive of our black lives than anything we would get out of the Trump administration. No doubt about that, for sure. Are you hearing black voters in this part of the country where you're working Focus on the Israel-Gaza fight because we saw in Michigan yesterday, 100,000 voters voted uncommitted saying we are still Democrats. We still support the president and vice president, but we want to send a message. Now, some folks say that this whole Israel-Gaza you know, war is a wedge issue, that it, it's not resonating with every community, particularly every community of color, what are you finding with your voters? Is, is it an issue that voters care about in your uh, part of the world? It is an issue that folks are caring about. As the uh, Biden campaign launched their campaign here in Pennsylvania, uh, there was large protests outside, um, just, you know, with, with this situation in mind. And I'll say that you know, as we center mostly black communities in our work, it's not as much of a wedge issues perhaps as in other communities, but there's also solidarity uh, with black and brown folks um, when we're talking about this issue. So I think this is something that the administration needs to take very seriously and not discount um, and be able to effectively communicate their stand. Um, you know, there are lots of folks calling for a ceasefire and waiting on that. And I think, um, you know, uh, you know, there's solidarity and solidarity in communities. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, it's not so much of an issue. It's not a bigger issue than trying to raise the minimum wage here uh, for the communities in which we're engaging, put food on the tables, um, ensuring that there are well, good paying jobs. So if you think about the top three issues that you see really driving in the national election, you know, beyond obviously the 725, uh, you know, is it just kind of unthinkable in terms of even paying someone that amount, how unlivable a wage that is. But you think about the issues that are going to drive black voters, black women in particular, uh, on the national election front. What are the top three issues? It's always going to be the pocketbook issues, right? It's putting food on the table. It is um, having a good economy, um, fair housing, right? Housing is just completely unaffordable in most parts of the country in this moment and in Pennsylvania as well. So housing, um, you know, good paying jobs. Um, increasing of the minimum wage and providing a really good public education for our students. And that is something that we need to do more effectively, particularly here in, in Pennsylvania, is funding um, our public schools. So we know uh, Biden got the infrastructure deal done. And I've heard a lot of folks criticizing, saying that uh, the infrastructure bill, even though you know it's going to put billions of dollars uh, into cities and you know states around the country, and there are going to be lots of jobs lots of opportunities uh, for construction projects, uh, you know, roads and waterways and uh, so many things like that, but that on the ground, the voters don't feel that because they, you know, they don't see these shovel ready projects happening in their communities at this point. 
what are you hearing? Like, how are people feeling about infrastructure? Do they feel like that's something that is going to bring massive amounts of money into their community, or is it just not resonating? I'm not sure. I think it's the word itself, infrastructure, that doesn't resonate because it includes so many things. Uh, infrastructure isn't just building bridges, right? Infrastructure is making we have broadband access to the internet. You know, there's other issues around infrastructure that I think need to be communicated so people really understand what that means. Um, so I think that is a messaging issue around that. But, you know, yeah, people want to see that there's buildings going up and uh, changes being made and that there are folks who look like them that are actually doing that work. If we're talking about providing all this money to build our infrastructure, um, you know, we have our own issues here in Pennsylvania with train crashes and et cetera, that regard and bridges collapsing. So we have issues as it relates to infrastructure and the needs that we have here in the Commonwealth. So I just think it's about the messaging and all it entails infrastructure. It's not just building bridges. Given that a lot of those projects won't be, you know, we like you said, we won't see buildings going up necessarily in lots of communities between now uh, and the summer or now in the fall and people, you know, have to start voting in the general election. You know, what impact might that have? May people, you know, outside, out of mind, you, you talk, you say infrastructure, you say bridges and roads and streets, but I don't see any buildings taking place. Is that going to think be a problem for the Biden administration? Uh, I don't, not so much. Um, not here in Pennsylvania as much. I think that there uh, we've done a pretty good job here of of him coming to the state and discussing the infrastructure that has happened here. Kamala Harris coming to the state and talking about infrastructure here in the Commonwealth. So I think that we just need to have a lot more communication and uh, reading and creating opportunities for folks to actually see what is happening in communities. Because there are things that are happening in communities all across uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, when we come forward and talk about immigration, uh, we know Donald Trump has been out saying that you know, he's going to uh, curb the tide of immigrants coming into this country and that these immigrants are taking jobs from black folks, you know, as he's trying to build uh, his support amongst black voters. I want to uh, talk with you about how black folks are thinking about the immigration issue, uh, either for or against Joe Biden. Or are they holding uh, him accountable for what we are hearing that's happening at the border and how might the Democrats message uh, around the immigration issue. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, we are back with Kadita Kenner. She's the founding CEO of New Pennsylvania Project. We're talking about black voters and particular black, particularly black women voters, because this is a pivotal election year. Kadita, uh, Donald Trump's been talking a lot about immigration. We know the Republicans have really stalled any uh, bills that could have addressed immigration in the Congress. They don't want to address immigration. Donald Trump has told them not to move forward with any uh, you know, legislation that could help Joe Biden in this election. So we know why we can't get immigration reform done, uh, likely done in this year. Uh, but Donald Trump has gone further and he suggested that somehow the immigration issue is impacting jobs as it relates to black folks. Again, it's his way of gaslighting and lying to black voters. What are you seeing around the issue of immigration with black voters? Uh, immigrants are welcome here in Pennsylvania. 
And I'll say that uh, as an organization, we are outside naturalization ceremonies four days a week, uh, registering brand new citizens of this country to vote and getting them involved in the electoral process. And I'll say here in Pennsylvania, the white population is in decline. And the only growth that is actually happening in Pennsylvania is amongst communities of color. And that includes black Africans uh, coming into this commonwealth. Um, and so I'll say that, again, immigrants are welcome here in Pennsylvania. And uh, the politics of trying to divide and conquer, uh, you know, will, will withstand. So you're not seeing, I mean, people are not buying this. Oh my God, you know, we need Donald Trump to be the president so he can build the wall or shut the border off because these immigrants are coming and taking our jobs. That's not what we're hearing on the ground, particularly in the black community. What about voter registration? I know you do a lot of that. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking back to the examples of Stacey Abrams and what mm -hmm. she was able to do in Georgia, not just her personally, but, you know, the those organizers who were in Georgia uh, four years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, organizing all of those Democratic voters. I had a conversation with Val Demings, the former congresswoman from Florida last year, and she said that Florida lost close to half a million Democratic voters. And that was why it was very difficult for someone like her or, uh, you know, and made it easy for someone like Ron DeSantis to become the governor of Florida are we registering as Democrats? Are we registering, you know, new voters, uh, those low propensity voters, those folks who, you know, maybe have been registered, but, get, you know, given up on elections? How are we addressing that? Because we know if we register enough folks and if we turn out enough voters, we will win every election, the, the national election, Congress, Senate, no doubt about it, because the Democratic our positions, our policies are more in line with the American people than anything that the Republicans, you know, are pushing in this election or even in past elections. But it's always a question of the numbers. Right. So what are you seeing in terms of getting more Democrats registered and then how are we getting them out to the polls? Sure. So the New Pennsylvania Project actually uh, named an homage of the New Georgia Project and the incredible work of N.C. Lafat, Stacey Abrams, Kendra Cotton there in that organization. And we are. Um, you know, looking to expand the democracy here, expand the electorate here. And we do that by having conversations. There are 2.1 million Pennsylvanians eligible to vote in this moment, but not registered, or they haven't voted in so long, they're at risk of being dropped off their voter rolls. And I think about 2012 Pennsylvania, when there are 1.2 million more Democrats than Republicans, and that number has gone down to 600,000, now more Democrats than Republicans registered. And the fact that access to the ballot is very difficult here in the Commonwealth, that we don't have early voting here in the Commonwealth, true early voting, we don't have same day voter registration like they have in North Carolina in Georgia. And so we have to, uh, you know, go around the barriers that currently exist. We have a state uh, legislature, our state senators, who are looking to enforce new policies uh, reminiscent of Mississippi 1950s, where they want to put, uh, you know, ensure that folks that don't have access to the ballot who should have access to the ballot. Uh, so for us, it's an issue of access to the ballot, getting folks registered to vote and not having it be such a difficult process to make that happen. We don't have automatic voter registration here besides at the DMVs and not everybody is going to the DMV and getting a driver's license. And so how are you guys finding these voters and how are you getting them registered given all of the obstacles that you just identified? Yeah, we are just in their neighborhoods. Uh, we actually are staff now of uh, more than 55 members uh, paid staff to do this work. And we hire from in the communities in which we center. We and we hire from impacted communities as well. The formerly incarcerated 
are great messengers here uh, doing this work. Um, we're trying to make sure that we are registering folks who are formerly incarcerated. Pennsylvania has a very progressive, it's pretty progressive as it relates to that. If you're formerly incarcerated, once your feet hit the street, you're eligible to vote here in the Commonwealth. So for us, it's meeting people where they are. It's providing that information because so many believe they are not eligible to vote, particularly because of incarceration or previous incarceration. So for us, it is meeting them outside their grocery store. It is meeting them in their housing project. It is meeting them where they are at their school, college campuses, tech schools, beauty right. schools, um, wherever they are. Do you guys have a, a number? Have you set like, you know, are you trying to register between now and the general election X hundreds of thousands of voters? Yeah. So as an organization in the last two years, so we were just founded in May of 2021. So our first full years, uh, 2022, 2023, we've registered more than 35,000 Pennsylvanians to vote. So we're really excited about that because more than 60% of those were young folks under the age of 35 mm -hmm. and also identified as being people of color. Um, so we're really excited about that number. Now this year, presidential election year, uh, we have an aspirational goal to register 60,000 more Pennsylvanians to vote, knowing that uh, Biden won this state um, by less than 90,000 votes um, in 2020. So I think uh, that impact that we can have on the Commonwealth uh, will be very instrumental. So your goal is to register 60,000 this year. This year. Uh, you said Biden lost, Biden won Pennsylvania, right? He won, yes. Biden won Pennsylvania by less than 90,000 votes. I want to say it was 80,000 80, votes. Yeah. Okay. And so your yeah. goal is to have at least 60, push or 35, 95,000 new voters and then obviously to turn uh, to turn them out. <laughs> that's the key. Getting those. That's part out. two. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what just real quickly we're running out of time, but what motivated you to start the new Pennsylvania project? Yeah, I was previously working for the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center, trying to move legislation that was never going to happen, trying to raise the minimum wage here. We've been stuck at uh, 7.25 an hour for 13 years, uh, trying to have more equitable funding for public schools. And all of this legislation couldn't move because of the way Harrisburg, our, our capital, looked. And so the only way to make that happen was to change the way the electorate looked and to know that there's a huge gap here in voter registration amongst communities of color when one in five Black folks here are eligible to vote and not registered, uh, when one in three Latino folks here are eligible to vote and not registered. We have work to do, and that, mean, uh, that means expanding the electorate and bringing more folks into the electoral process so we can get our needs met. Wow. Uh, you know, congratulations to you and kudos to you for seeing a problem and stepping in and, you know, presenting a solution, a workable solution. Just like I told you, Val Deming said in Florida, like we can win Florida. Democrats can win in Florida, but we've got to go back and get those 500,000 voters who we let slip off the voting rolls over the last, you know, a decade or so. And, and I, I hope your project encourages other states to look at, you know, where are we missing voters? Because again, like I said, all the polls show that the issues that Democrats care about are the issues that the country cares about. We just got to get folks uh, registered and then as you say, get them turned out. So again, thank you so much. Kadita, for the work that you're doing. Good luck with that 60,000. Thank you. Uh, number. I know you said it's aspirational, but it sounds like you guys are organized and you got a plan and a strategy and you're executing on it. So wish you uh, the best in terms of getting uh, those voters not only registered, but as you said, getting them out to vote in this year. Because, you know, we say every year that this is the most consequential election ever, but really, 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 it really is a consequential it really is. election. I mean, our democracy is on the, the line in ways that we could not have even imagined back in 2016 when Donald Trump was elected as president. So 
Uh, we all have a lot of work to do. And I, it, feel, it feels like to me, despite folks saying they're not enthused, that as time goes on, they will become, and, you know, you don't have to be happy like you're going to a birthday party to vote. Right. You feel like, you know, you just won the lottery to vote. And I don't know if you need to be enthused uh, as much as you just need to be disciplined about doing that, which is all of our civic duty. So I'm just going to hope that folks get disciplined. I, I don't know about the enthusiasm level, but I just want them to be disciplined. I think in the end, they'll do the right thing. In the end, they'll do the right thing and show up in November. I agree 100%. Thank you again. The next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.